we all know that sin has consequences. We all know that as a Christian, when I sin, there are consequences. But somehow in our theology, we decided that those consequences don't include demonic influence or interference. But the Bible never says that. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. Most of us have experienced some type of defeat in our Christian lives. Those things that persistently come after us. Whether they be thoughts, attitudes, repeated struggles, and even sins. We may try everything that we know. And we think if we know more, try harder, join a small group, get accountability, journal, pray, you name it, we've, we've done it. But we often feel that relief just doesn't appear. What if one of the reasons is that we aren't thinking big enough? We aren't thinking holistically enough. That's what today's guest Marcus Warner believes. In his new book, A Deeper Walk, Warner spells out his vision for discipleship, one that goes beyond what he calls the ABC approach of traditional discipleship so often found in churches. There's academics, what we know, behavior, be disciplined and focus on being good, and then church activity, becoming mature, and that's a result of doing church stuff. That's how maturity occurs. However, it doesn't really work, does it? What if a big part of the problem is that things in our past are creating strongholds in our lives that are keeping us from maturity? What if we are ignoring the realities of a spiritual warfare around us and even in our own lives? Today's episode is the first part of my conversation with Marcus. We're going to dive deep into some heavy topics. It's an important conversation, but a tricky one. Because anytime you talk about things like spiritual warfare, and we talk about it a lot in this interview, two responses tend to happen. Some people will simply dismiss it out of hand and turn it off. If that's you, I simply ask that you hear Marcus out. I think you'll find that he has a far more balanced approach than you would expect. The second response is to develop an unhealthy tendency to see a demon around every corner and behind every problem we face. This, too, is a mistake, as Marcus makes clear. To be sure, these are deep waters, and we need to be careful in how we approach these topics. There is room for disagreements and questions. But what I appreciate most about what Marcus Warner is doing is his commitment to reflecting the full reality of the world we live in, of the spiritual realm that as Westerners we often simply dismiss. Or as he puts it, we put it in the attic of our theology. It's there, but serves no practical function in our day-to-day lives. This is an important and necessary conversation. Happy listening. Marcus Warner, welcome to Apollo's Water. Hey, it's great to be here. It's been fun uh, getting to know you off, uh, off the air a little bit, Travis. This is fun. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Let's see if you say that after the Fast Five. Are you ready for the Fast Five? <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's easy one. Easy one. Chinese food or pizza? Pizza. What kind of pizza? Uh, Hawaiian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, actually, I like Hawaiian. Is there yeah. a specific place that you like the most? Uh, you know, I like uh, I like Blaze Pizza. Blaze? I don't know that one. Is that like it's an a, Indiana it's a, thing? Uh, wood, wood, wood fire, you know, place. It's not too far away from here. So we get that. And uh, honestly, up in this tiny little town of Brown City, Michigan, has the best pizza ever. And I, it's not a chain or anything, just called Trevi's. We love to get Trevi's pizza. Trevi's. I, will, I want to check that out when I get up there. I was just yeah. in Michigan not too long ago. So now I'm like, ah, I can try some pizza. <laughs> All right. Second question. When I have spare time, I prefer to do what? So this is you. You know, when yeah. you have spare time, you prefer to do uh, uh, golf. And if not that, uh, uh, I, I binge watch TV shows. <laughs> okay. Well, what's your binge watch right now? What's your binge? All right. So my son just got me into this anime about Vikings called Vinland or something like that. So, you know, 
I I I teach on maturity, so I have to, you know. <laughs> you watch? But did you wait? Let me get this right. Viking anime is that? that yeah, it was. I think it's a Japanese <laughs> anime about Vikings. It's a, a Vinland saga. So yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I guarantee you'll like it. It's actually uh it's actually a quite philosophical. <laughs> I was caught off guard. I was completely prepared to just blow this thing off and say, you gotta be crazy. But you know, he's a college kid, he likes this stuff, and I'm like, I can see why it's uh, <laughs> okay. Question number three. What is the funniest or strangest cross-cultural experience you've ever had? Funniest or strangest? Uh, man, that's a good question. I um, first one that comes to my mind is I interviewed a witch doctor in India. Uh, so this would call if I'm more in the strange, right? Because he's telling me a story about how he learned to kill people with curses by doing in in rituals uh, at midnight in where where he was. That was strange. I still have the recordings, right? From that oh, weird interview uh on the funnier end of it i do remember getting stuck in an elevator at a former soviet uh hotel in ukraine that uh it felt like you know you, you it was barely big enough for my for me and my wife to both be in there at the same time and that was kind of weird being halfway between floors and having the thing conk out and we took a while to get out of that so we've had a few of our uh few strange you know international <laughs> <laughs> experiences yeah <laughs> okay then that leads that to was not funny story. though i'm not no, it's not funny it's a little like well that's sad yeah, no, <laughs> but it's okay. is it bad the first thing that pops in my head are traumatizing but go ahead yeah <laughs> i don't know if it's bad or not but it's funny yeah. i mean it's not that funny but it's yeah. funny okay here's number four if your life was a movie what would it be titled oh that's a good one uh if it was a movie it would be titled uh didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. have to elaborate on that. You can't just lay that out there and not elaborate on it. Well, you know, I had my life all planned out. I was going to be, I, I knew I was going to be a pastor since I was in kindergarten. So that part of it was, was uh, I mean, I used to, as a kindergarten kid, I used to get up and practice preaching in my basement, you know, like to my friends. I was just, I I knew that's what I was going to do. And uh, I used to tell my high school teachers, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. Why do I need to know this? No, no. And you know <laughs> that never flew over too well. But anyway, we had, uh, and, but along the way, it's just, I was, uh, you know, from from who you marry to, you know, what your kids turn out to be like to uh, all of a sudden thinking you're going to be at one job forever and having the whole thing fall apart. And now you're doing something totally different to dealing with people to even know about, let alone somebody you're going to, you know, try to help. Mm. So, yeah, didn't see that coming. Lots of. <laughs> okay, then. Well, that leads to our last question, uh, because I'm very curious on how you answered this. If you if you if you were a store, what store would you be and why? Well, I don't know if this is a fair answer, but I mean, the first one that pops in my head is always Costco. As fact, I'd like to Two members of my family uh, call Costco their happy place. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where else can you go and get snacks in a casket? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I know. Just, I mean, lobster furniture. I mean, I got my whatever. flooring from there, and I've got my pizza <laughs> from there. So you know, it's all right. <laughs> Oh, Costco still has the best chicken in the world. I rent my cars from there too. It's like when I travel. <laughs> you can rent a car from Costco? Yeah, and I go through theirs uh, as a member, I get a discount. So. Well, I mean, I'm a member too, but I didn't know I could do that. I got to remember yeah. that next time. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's get into your book, A Deeper Walk. And let's talk about it. It's brand new, really uh, right off the shelf. You, It just came out. Yeah, it's only a few weeks old. Yeah, a few weeks old as, as the time of we're recording this. Um, so let's talk about A Deeper Walk. It, it, and its subtitle is A Proven Path for Developing a More Vibrant Faith. So tell us the impetus behind A Deeper Walk. 
Well, to a certain extent, this is my whole life's journey. It's like I've written 15 books or something like that. And but this is the one that encapsulates. This is sort of like the magnum opus that puts it all together in one place. And so it's the uh, and it started. I tell the story in there starting when I was in, a teenager in church. You know, I was at a traditional church with pews and stained glass windows, organ, robe choir, all the rest. It was a good church. In fact, we had a Bible college across the street. We taught from the Bible every week. But I could tell there was something missing in my Christianity. And I remember one night watching people file into the pews and thinking to myself, I don't want to end up like them. I don't want to spend my whole life just going to church and not actually feeling like it's more than cultural. You know, I wanted, I wanted, there had to be something more. And I remember at that time having this clear, distinct thought in my head that God was calling me to do something about the state of discipleship in the church. And so that was as a teenager at the time, I just assumed that meant better Bible teaching. I didn't know, you know, what is this even all about? And then God took me on this journey, uh, working with deeply wounded people, getting uh, working on PhD level stuff in Old Testament, uh, meeting psychiatrists and psychologists who are, you know, are helping people with, uh, with their wounds and just, uh, a father who was known for spiritual warfare, uh, and I mean, it's just all over the gamut. And then most recently, Dr. Jim Wilder and his neuroscience uh, foundations. And, and so what we try to do is integrate all of this stuff together from culture and worldview to Bible, to neuroscience, to spiritual warfare, to walking in the spirit, to, you know, and, and how do you bring it all together? And the reason we call it a proven pathway is that it's not a brand new thing that I came up with. I'm trying to figure out what has what have people been doing for centuries that have given them the kind of walk that we all are looking for. And I'm like, I think that this this is a summary of that. Mm. So let's really delve into that. <clears throat> because when I saw the book, I saw the 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 initial table of contents. And my first reaction was, is finally someone has put all this stuff together because you have a tendency to focus on one of them, especially in our niche world today. You might have, as you're talking about, uh, the other half of church where we're talking about, you know, right-brained Christianity. And then we have those who talk about spiritual warfare and deliverance and then talk about scripture engagement or spiritual living. Rarely do you find someone who's willing to put all of the cards on the table and try to make them all fit together. And that's something that you've really tried to do. Not an altogether easy task. Um, I, I read this book in conjunction with a friend of mine. We had very different reactions because I'm familiar with Wilder. I'm familiar with the spiritual warfare aspect of it. He's a little familiar with, with Wilder, not at all familiar with spiritual warfare. And he, he, he had a very difficult time trying to process this because rarely do you find it fit together because as soon as you delve into one of these subjects, you inevitably find people who then will label you and define you by that. Let's say you become the spiritual warfare guy that's dismissed from intellectual engagement and exegesis and all of that. That's the accusation anyway, sure. the, the, the label. So, so help walk us through this and introduce us to this for a bit. First of all, I would like you to describe what like freedom ministry or deliverance ministry is first of all yeah that's a great question so um where do i begin so when i was seven a uh, a demon showed up in my living room and stared at me for a while right so i have never had it's never been a hypothetical theoretical thing for me it's like i knew the spirit world was real uh that thing was really tangible it was not just a, a dreamlike state hazy thing over in the corner um, I have, uh, talked to people who in the middle of talking to them, their face changes and a different voice comes out. Right. So you're like, and I'm like, you know, a study on Ephesians is not what they need right now. <laughs> it's like, I could do a study on Ephesians, but they're not going to understand a word I'm saying, because there is some kind of a spiritual power here that has to be dealt with. And the problem is that we, again, in, because our culture has tended to be very rational and very, you know, what I can control oriented, we have tended to stick spiritual warfare in what I call the attic of our worldview system. And that is we we agree that it exists because the Bible tells us that it exists, but it's not doesn't have a functional role in our everyday lives. So a big part of what we're trying to say is all of us deal with spiritual warfare every day. Some of us just don't recognize it because we don't have the worldview lenses to recognize what we're seeing. 
And so this is not saying that everything is caused by demons, but I is saying that they are far more involved than most of us think. And they're far more active than most of us think if you have the gl glasses to recognize what you're seeing. I would compare it to like, you know, germs and viruses and things like that before. It's like their impact was everywhere, but people didn't see it, right? They didn't know it. And I'm like, it's somewhat similar to that. So what we're trying to do is bring it out into the open and help people understand there's a lot of stuff that we're struggling with that we don't need to be struggling with if we just understood the principles that go into getting free from the things that enslave us. And so that's the uh, the idea behind freedom. And so we actually take two approaches to it. One spiritual warfare and the other is emotional healing. And it's the idea that if I'm stuck and I'm, I'm stalled and I'm just in bondage to something that's got me in slavery and I've confessed it a thousand times and I just, I can't seem to get on the other side of it, what is missing? And so I've actually got another book under contract of, to fill out the whole emotional healing model. And it's also kind of a holistic model that's coming out here again uh, next year. But it's a, in the, this is just in the discipleship context, just as a disciplers. It's like, how do we expect people to go deeper in their walk with God when they are in bondage? You know, we've got to help them get free. And uh, I like the way Neil Anderson put this a couple of different uh, ways. He said uh, when he was teaching at Talbot, he said it was just eating him up that we kept graduating pastors to be who had all the academics down. Uh, they had all the ministry skills, but they were in bondage in their own personal life. Some of them had were in bondage to anger. They were in bondage to depression. They were in bondage to fear. They were in bondage to pornography. You know, they're bondage to all kinds of stuff. And we're sending them out there to go pastor churches and saying, you have our, you know, approval, right? You've been approved by, uh, by what we have because your theology is correct and your ministry skills are good. I'm like, that's not, that's not going to work, right? When we, we've seen the result of, of, of doing this. And so that's why we focus on freedom. The freedom ministry is about helping people identify what has them in bondage and then applying the correct tools and solutions to help them get free. So how do you deal with that freedom aspect with Romans 7? where we have those, you know, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the, and the things I don't want to do, this I do. How do you differentiate or identify the factor of bondage just as opposed to the sinful nature exhibiting itself in one's life that we will never get rid of on this side of eternity? No, that's, a, that's an excellent question, really, because um, what we don't mean to imply is that if you go through this 90 minute, you know, freedom appointment, you will forever be, you know, never have to deal with this again. Uh, but what we are talking about here is a couple of things, and that is that we're all going to have to deal with the flesh our whole lives. But there are things that fuel the flesh, and there are things that take advantage of the flesh. So, for example, wounds from my past that have taught me distortions about reality are going to, that is going to fuel my flesh. And so I got the, the model in there, we talk about wounds, lies, vows, right? Wounds is the world wounds me, lies is the devil tells me some narrative about this. And now my, my flesh makes vows about how I'm therefore going to live. And a lot of our bondage is directly related to the flesh. But, you know, I, I believe the devil never looks at this and says, well, they're in enough trouble without me, I'll stay out of this, right? So if I've got a huge flesh problem, the devil's not going to say, oh, man, my job's done here. He's going to take every advantage he can. And so when, when demonization gets into the picture, what it does is that now is ratcheting up the flesh problem that I have to another level. And so what we want to do is like, well, let's get rid of that so that we have a normal flesh problem here to deal with and not something that is being demonically supercharged. And that is something that uh, is honestly, in most cases, easier to take care of than most people think. Well, I remember a book written by Craig Appleby, I think was his name. Uh, he wrote a book called It's Only a Demon. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I remember it came out near a similar time of Carl Payne's book. Um, yeah. and, and they had, you know, I, I think Payne had a much more accurate assessment of things than Appleby did. I, I, there were some quite a lot more questions I had about his approach, but the title is what really got me. It's yeah, right. We're so intimidated into... I mean, fear that we don't do anything at all, when the reality is, is we've been given opportunities, uh, a, a sonship, inheritance, uh, authority in, in this realm that we have, again, we have a right teaching on on one level and then have been abused on another level. But I, I want to go back for a moment. When you mentioned the WLVS, I, I have to say that was one of the most memorable and funniest things that I saw in the book where you said, and I'm going to quote it, right? Because I've got sure. it underlined right here, where you said, 
I call this model WLVS, the Demonic Radio Network, broadcasting <laughs> all deception all the time. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's clever. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's stuck in my mind. Um, stands for wounds, lies, vows, and strongholds. So let's, 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 let's park there for a moment. You talked about wounds, and I think we can get an idea of lies. These are lies that we've believed over time and built some reality or misperception of reality about right. it, correct? Yeah. <clears throat> but what about vows? That's one that I was like, oh, what? Oh, what, what are we doing with vows? What, what is this? So a vow in its simplest form is an I will statement in which my flesh is going to take control of something because it no longer trusts God. Hmm. All right. So where I get wounded. So a lot of us, if you look at our heart, we trust God with a lot of things in our lives. But when it comes to our wound, we don't trust him. Right. Because we've got pain, unresolved pain in that place. And so in that part of my life, I don't trust God. So I can trust him with my missionary activities. I can trust him with my ministry. I can trust him with my family. I do not trust him to keep me safe in this part of my life because in my mind, he's got a failed track record there. So I uh, and so my flesh says, fine, I don't need God. I will keep myself safe. And that is the I will. And so you either get an I will never right? I will never let this happen again. I will never let anybody talk to me like that, like that again, or I will prove, I will do this. I will. I, and so you tend to become passive or driven based on the vows that are driving your life. So passivity is, you know, I, I will never feel this way again. I'm going to withdraw. And, uh, you know, the aggressive is I will never feel this way again. I'm going to confront, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get in somebody's face the next time this happens, because that ain't going to happen again. So both are flesh reactions. And uh, the flesh, you know, sucks the life out of us. And so we we find ourselves, you know, in a place we don't want to be. So we find ourselves in bondage. And the flesh has a whole lot to do with our bondage. It isn't just demons. Mm. Even as you elaborate on that, I had an immediate thought of someone I knew came to my mind who had an, I will never be in this, in poverty ever again. And they were in ministry at the time. And, and her husband was in ministry. And she said they were having some hard times financially and that's what caused her to just, I'm out of this marriage. I, I, I never will be in this again. So I see that really at that root cause of it, that vow, but let's move on to then strongholds. What are these? I hear the term. We've all heard the term strongholds, right. but there's a lot of confusion on right. what actually makes up this stronghold. So, you know, <laughs> Stronghold in a negative sense is only used once in the Bible, right? And that's Second Corinthians 10, where Paul's talking about he takes captive every thought, you know, he, he goes after strongholds. And in that context, he's talking missionary work. He's like, I go into these pagan cultures or to these synagogues, and I am battling false concepts, and I'm trying to bring the light of the gospel to them. So every other time we see stronghold in the Bible, it's positive. God is my stronghold, right? I, you know, he's my stronghold in time of trouble. So we're we're focusing in on Paul's use of it here in 2 Corinthians 10. And it's the idea that these people are in bondage because of what they believe. And Paul is bringing the gospel to try to set them free. So we're saying, all right, let's take that principle and let's apply it. Could that same principle be at work here where someone is in bondage because of what they believe? And that's the lie. And so we look at, well, what is the root cause? What was the open door that made that lie feel so true to them? And it is almost always trauma. It's always some type of wound in their past. Now, there's times when we believe lies and it's got nothing to do with trauma. But I'm just saying this is a common uh, model in emotional healing that I get wounded and now I believe something. So, for example, I talked to a young lady not too uh, many years ago where she she had a very common wound in that her parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. So she was tempted to minimize it and say, you know, everybody, you know, this happens to everybody, it's no big deal. Well, when she prayed, she said, Lord, would you bring to my mind, did, did Satan succeed in planting a lie in my heart because of this? She said immediately the thought popped into her head was, uh, it was basically, it was your fault that your parents got divorced. And all of a sudden, it was like this door opened up, and she began, and, and she went, well, what else? And not only did she go, it was my fault, but she was like, if I was a better daughter, my dad wouldn't have left. Mm. I must be unlovable. Became, I am unlovable. Became, if anybody knew what I was really like, they would reject me, right? So you could just, you could see from this one wounding event of, of the divorce, which is, you know, people tend to minimize because there is so much of it. She, uh, 
she got a, a, a sequence of lies that were absolutely controlling her. And she had then made vows like, I am never going to let anybody get close enough to me to find out who I really am, because I know if they do, they'll reject me. And so the lie was leading directly to a vow. And guess what? She was in bondage. She lived with a lot of fear. She lived with a lot of depression. Uh, she, uh, her presenting issue was, why do I keep losing all my relationships? Well, you can see she was sabotaging the relationships because as soon as anybody would get it, you know, close, uh, she was, you know, sabotaging it because she was afraid that they were going to find out, you know, so she was pre-rejecting people. And uh, you, you look at this throughout. And so you see, Again, the, the world and the wounds and the lies of the devil and the vows that, uh, that, that come together and they create a stronghold in my life where I now have these things where I am not free to be myself. I don't act like myself anymore at this point. I turn into a different person. And so I'm not normally an addict, but when this thing gets triggered, I turn into an addict. Or I'm not normally an angry person, but when this thing gets triggered, I turn into an angry person. Or I'm not normally even depressed, but when this thing gets triggered, I, I suddenly lose all, I become hopeless or full of shame or whatever it is. So um, strongholds, the way I talk about it, is, is largely an, an emotion that controls me uh, that is growing out of these, uh, these other roots. And how do we find healing for these things? You do talk about this in the book. Yeah, so we uh, we got to go to the root issues, and the uh, the root issues are, I so the the two tools I used to use as a pastor a lot is people would regularly make two hour appointments to meet with me to try to you know resolve issues like this, and uh, I would hear their story, and as I listen to their story, I'd be listening for the wounds and the lies and the vows that they would say, and I make little notes like, okay, here's a wound, here's a lie, here's a vow. Then we would go back and say, let's just ask God. And I'd, I'd ask them things like, all right, I heard you say this. Like, do you feel like no, like you're all alone in this world and nobody really knows you? Nobody really loves you and God's abandoned you. I said, so on a scale of one to 10, how true do those things feel? And we'd, we'd lay it out. Hmm. And then uh, we go back and say, well, let's, let's ask Jesus, like, is there a root memory that made that thing come alive for me? When that Was there a memory where before this happened, that didn't feel true? And after that happened, it started feeling true? And consistently, the Lord would bring a memory to their mind. And we would go back and we would dive into that memory and say, what do I need to remember about this? So we start with, uh, I call it real prayer, R-E-A-L, right? What do I need to remember about these roots? And then let to explore them prayerfully with God. What about this do I need to remember? Like, I don't want to re-traumatize people. I don't want to take them back and say, let's, uh, you know, remember every last detail of how, how that felt. But it is... But a lot of people will know I was in this room. I was in this house. It happened at, you know, I was wearing these clothes. They, they're details that are etched in their memory and they, they, they laid them out for you. And then we just ask. That's the A of the real prayers. Remember, explore. Then A is ask. Jesus, what do you want to do to heal this today? And then I just have them revisit. And that's like, listen. So let's just look and listen. I'll close your eyes, go back, revisit the memory. So does anything change? Do you feel anything different? Do you have any new thoughts? Do you see anything different? And uh, and what was happening was at this point, if we were going to get demonic interference, this is where we tended to get it. Because it's like the demons did not want them doing this, right? They did not want people actually getting resolution to their pain. So a lot of the demonic interference we would run into would come at this point where we would actually ask Jesus to do something about it. It's not always, but that's most common. And so we began integrating both spiritual warfare practices and emotional healing practices to help people get at the roots. And then what we found is that when they were able to get to the roots, they always left. I mean, I say always, it was almost 100% left. And when we would revisit these lies and how true they felt, they were saying, yeah, it went from a 12 on a scale of 10 to a one or a zero. Like that doesn't feel true anymore. And so that's one of the ways you can test, you know, does, was God in this is that all of a sudden lies don't feel true to them. Truth feels true to them. And often scriptures start coming alive. Like, Oh, that's what that scripture means because they, uh, they had a block on it. It's like they knew in their head, God will never leave me nor forsake me, but they sure felt forsaken. And so how do you, how, so one of the things that you're doing to test is they have a, is that the fruit of the spirit begins to grow. They find themselves loving enemies. They find themselves feeling more peace. They find themselves capable of living with some joy. Uh, they, you know, that sort of thing. In, in 
There are also scriptures coming alive, lies are falling off, and they are having the freedom now to begin having the normal battles we all have instead of the <laughs> they just in the hole of despair battle that they were having. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. Let, let me, let, let's uh, draw that out here, if you, you wouldn't mind. You sure. mentioned, because I think that's one of the, the issues that I find when we're talking about spiritual warfare. And you mentioned between the deep battles and the everyday battles that we all have. How do you differentiate between what is just an everyday common occurrence of our humanity and those spiritual battles? So I'm a little quicker to chest to see if there is a spiritual battle going there, because if there is, I can solve this faster. In other words, if, if the problem is me, I'm still going to have this problem after I just check to see if I've got something demonic going on, right? So if I, by testing the spirits and trying to deal with the warfare issue first, if it is, then I'm going to get a whole lot of relief a whole lot more quickly. If it's not, I'm no worse off. I'm still dealing with my flesh issue that I got to deal with. So one of the things that I'm looking for, though, just classically, is a sense if I feel like something God wants me to do feels hopeless, I see the hands of the enemy in that, right? God wants me to live a pure life, but I feel like it's impossible for me to be pure. There's no way I can be pure. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my life experience. Well, that's that's a stronghold. That's your, your flesh, yes, but there's also something else going on here. So that's going to require healing and also deliverance. And then, uh, and then there's going to be some but in what healing and deliverance are meant to do is they're meant to set people free to grow. It doesn't make them instantly mature. It just is meant to get the debris out of the way so that they can, you know, run the race that's in front of them. How do you know that the lies you're believing are demonic at root? Just because the Bible says he's the father of lies. So I take that to mean that if uh, he's the father of lies, that means that all lies have their ultimate source in him. So I'm not saying the devil is actively present, but he had something to do with it. And so I look at this, uh, people often ask because they're familiar with like power encounter versus truth encounter, that sort of thing. So I always tell them I'm a legal encounter person, right? And that is, uh, I want to know what do demons have the legal right to do and why do they have the legal right to do it? And if we can identify what that is and help people resolve that, then deliverance is easy. The people who run into these, you know, six hour marathons are running into the six hour marathons and often not seeing results because they actually aren't dealing with the legal permission that the demons have to be there. So, um, I give you one example, right? I, I was talking at a, at a Christian college years ago. Somebody came up and said, hey, I've been having nightmares ever since I got married. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, it's an easy joke That's there, right? <laughs> it's an easy yeah, joke yeah, there, right? <laughs> I've been having night, but, you know, I've been having nightmares ever since I got married. Do you think that there could be something demonic about this? Right? Well, what's the simple answer? He's like, no, no, probably not. You know, probably pizza. You should probably do this, this. But I'm like, well, let's test and see, right? Why, why not? Because if it's right, then your nightmares will go away. So I said, well, I said, when did they start? And she goes, they started, literally started, you know, on my honeymoon, right? Right after we uh, got married. 
And I said, well, what was really bothering you? And she said, well, we slept together before we got married and I felt really guilty about it. And she said, uh, uh, I confessed it a thousand times. So if you've confessed one sin a thousand times, right? What have you not done? You've not actually received the forgiveness. You've not accepted it. You've not forgiven yourself, right? So I said, well, let's just do this right now then. We took literally like one minute and said, in the name of Jesus, I receive the forgiveness that God, that Christ bought for me on the cross. I apply it to this. Thank you for forgiving me. I now forgive myself. I command anything demonic that has been taking advantage of this in my life. Doesn't mean she's possessed. Just means they're taking advantage of legal permission to do something that is bothering her that she doesn't really need to be putting up with. And uh, and that was it. It was literally like a one minute prayer. And then uh, a, a year later, I was back in the same town for a wedding and she happened to be one of the other guests came up and said, hey, I just want you to know that since we prayed that day, I've had a single nightmare. So the, uh, that's what I'm getting at is that because we don't address warfare issues, there's people living with stuff they don't need to be living with. And so my, my thing is like, why not address that first and see if it re- get, you get some resolution? Because if not, the worst that happens is you're right where you were anyway. Now, I will say that there are a lot of warfare ministry things that happen that are whacked out, and I understand that. And so there's a lot of people who've been traumatized by spiritual warfare ministries and so I don't want to just flippantly say all spiritual warfare ministries are created equal any more than, say, all churches are created equal, right? Uh, and the reality is that any truth can be weaponized. So you figure out, if people have figured out how to weaponize the Bible, they can probably weaponize what I teach. And so even just because somebody's using the principles and the processes and the methods I teach doesn't mean it's going to be good because like, if you get a narcissist who's using all that stuff, you're still going to have some problems, right? If you have a a spiritually abusive person, uh, they can manipulate even good things, you know, to uh, cause problems. So I do know people who've been spiritually abused in warfare settings, and I don't want to flippantly just say, well, this is simple. This is always easy. I'm just saying there's a whole lot of stuff that we deal with that we don't need to be dealing with that if we would just take the time to do some of these things, we would see more freedom than we might uh, think possible. Some churches that I have been a part of or have interacted with people, whenever you talk about the spiritual warfare aspect, they everyone falls on a spectrum. Uh, there are yeah. the churches that have nothing to do with it. They believe it's all metaphorical. Right. And you you address that in the book. But there's all there are also the churches that, everything is demonic at its root and they deny any aspect of mental illness they uh, deny any aspect of medication um, and so on how do we know how to keep those things in tension Um, and and i and i i say that because my interaction has been with both i've seen a person who was told that at root her issue was spiritual and it ended up being she had medication and she was fine. And this is after she went back and sought every, you know, she she just totally went through every aspect of her life and it gave her no relief. And when then she right. got the medication, she was fine. And we know we all know people like this. And, yeah. and, and, and it seemed like in the, and I'm putting a little bit of a time frame on it because I'm 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 at that age now, where in the 80s I remember everything having much more of a spiritual root and talked about. Then there was a shift where everything seemed to go the other way because there was no talk of mental illness whatsoever. Now there's talk of everything mental illness and nothing spiritual related. And it's both. It's not an either or, correct? Yeah, because I think what happens is that you can overpromise anything, right? And I do think that sometimes spiritual warfare was overpromising results and making it sound like this is quick, simple, painless, and, you know, we'll be done. Because there are stories that are like that. Mm -hmm. But... so it this is we're moving into the next book I'm working on. Right? So, <laughs> awesome! All right, so Let's this do it, uh, Let's do it. All right, so this next one here is I, what I teach is that there are three engines that drive human emotions. Right, there is our body is one of those engines. Mm-hmm. Right, so if I have something wrong that requires medication, medication is the solution. All right. And there's things where that's absolutely what I need. I need to, I need medication for this issue because there's something at a physical, biological level that needs to be addressed. 
Um, if I can't sleep, that's going to affect my emotions. I might need medication to help me sleep, but the same thing, if I have an overactive amygdala and I need something to calm down, I might need medication. That's, that's okay. It's the body is one of the engines that drives our emotions. Second thing is our beliefs. Beliefs can drive emotions, right? If I'm convinced that somebody's out to kill me, <laughs> I'm going to respond emotionally to that, whether it's true or not. All right, so that's the second engine. And then there's bonding, right? Which gets into the neuroscience, the attachment theory. And that is I can have a fear bond or a joy bond. Well, if all of my attachments are fear-based, then that's gonna drive a lot of emotions for me. I'm gonna find myself walking into every situation and, and anticipating fearful, problematic you know, situations. And so there is there are separate solutions for each of those. Like, well, the solution for the body is different than the solution for my beliefs, which is different than the solution for my attachments. So one of the problems we've had in the church is that we have we have tended to make all solutions belief-based. Just believe the right thing and you will be okay. And so the church bio, has largely ignored the biological foundations, and we have are just discovering the bonding attachment foundations, and people are a little skeptical on some of that, right? Because truth will set you free, and it's like this: the only it, it, people say that like it's the only verse in the Bible about freedom. It's like the truth will set you free because one of the engines that creates bondage is beliefs. But also you think about the fruit of uh, what the works of the flesh are, and they all have to do with attachment problems, right? Factions and disorders and hatred and envy and jealousy. You know, it's like that, that's a lot of fear bonding going on there. So those are the three engines. Then what Christianity adds to that are two more catalysts, if you might say, wicked spirits and the Holy Spirit. And that is, so do wicked spirits have any impact on the body? Do they have any impact on our beliefs? Do they have any impact on our attachments or our bonding? Well, yeah, right? Wicked spirits can, you know, half the miracles Jesus performed in the Gospel of Mark were casting out a demon that got somebody's body in a better place. They can affect our bodies. Uh, they can affect our beliefs for sure. He's called the father of lies. And they can affect our our. Our, our attachments, their whole idea is we want to create division, we want to create separation, we want to create fear in our relationships. So they're actively working to sabotage us at those at those levels in the same way the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, right? He's also the spirit of love, right? So he wants to help us live in unity of the, we call it the unity of the spirit, that's attachment. Um, and then the, the Holy Spirit often affects our bodies. And so, you know, he can heal our bodies. Uh, I'm not one who believes that everybody who wants to get healed automatically gets healed. But I, I believe they're in an already not yet, you know, kingdom theology. But there are times when God heals people. And so, he can, you know, the Holy Spirit can affect, affect our bodies. So I look at these things and at the physical realm, you can think of it, my body, and then my beliefs is like my left brain and my attachment of bonding is like my right brain. So it's like, these are the three main engines driving my emotions. And then we deal with it. And so what I tell people is your solution has to fit the problem. So if the problem is that I've got a demon that's doing something to my body, I can go to Mayo Clinic. I can go to Cleveland Clinic. I can go anywhere I want. They are not going to come up with a solution if the problem is demonic. I'm not saying that all problems are demonic. I'm saying when it is a demonic problem, only a warfare solution will work, <laughs> right? So when it is, you know, when when there are some things that only the Holy Spirit can help you with. And so part of like that listening prayer exercise I talked about where, you know, this young lady went back, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and gave her new truth to replace those lies. And she was, she renounced her vow. And she also, so she, she heard from the Holy Spirit. She also ended up casting out some demons, not from her, but that had been hanging around and she could feel the oppression left. And, and so all of these five things work together. And so we, that's why you have to have this holistic model. And the problem comes, if you say everything comes down to a demon, now you've got a problem. I mean, you're ignoring four other engines. If you say everything is the Holy Spirit and all I need is, is just the right person to lay hands on me and everything will be better, you're ignoring you know, the way God designed the world. That isn't, you know, that that is a thing, right? That, that the Holy Spirit, you know, would be active, but there is these other ones too. And so getting the right solution to the right problem starts with having the right growth model. And that's really what's driving this book as well as the next one is that we need a holistic growth model about how do people mature and how does that inform the way we make disciples? 
taking that into consideration the engines i mean you just dropped you want to talk about fire hoses you just yeah. you, just, you just saturated our whole audience um but going to like a specific passage here for a moment in scripture first corinthians 11 paul's giving the restrictions around communion and he talks about observing communion in an unworthy manner and he says this is why some of you are weak and ill and some have died meaning that there's a spiritual connection to this that has manifested itself physically phys or physiologically in that in that 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 text how do, how do we deal with that? Because it's I, I, I'm, I'm right with you. I, I'm trying to understand everything that you're talking about, because I've talked to some people and I said, you know, there are certain things that happen to us physically that have physical or medical roots. You, you give them the medication and they're fine. That takes care right. of it. But there are certain things that manifest themselves in our body that actually have spiritual roots because of the connection between the two that I think this is where we as a church in the modern West have really lost the understanding of how our body and spirit are connected right. in, in that way and how they, they affect one another. Right. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're, we're, you know, we're disembodied on listening to or watching a message online. We're not embodied together any longer but going back how do you then how do you then answer something like that or deal with that type of thing well let me kind of throw another passage of scripture in there too and that is in corinthians sure. paul paul talks about uh i don't uh, not eating food sacrifice to idols because mm -hmm. he doesn't want you having koinonia with demons right I'm like all right what does it look like for a christian to have koinonia with a demon and I'm like, it, it, and I'm like, that's why I try to just throw out possession talk. I said, let's talk about koinonia. <laughs> yeah, say, fellowship with what, is, what does it take for a Christian to have fellowship with a demon? And it's like they've done something. Well, in this case, it seems to be that they participate in the in the occult. So I look at it this way. We all know that sin has consequences. We all know that as a Christian, when I sin, there are consequences. But somehow in our theology, we decided that those consequences don't include demonic influence or interference but the bible never says that right the bible never says you know if you sin and particularly like in an occult manner where your sin is engaging with demonic you know powers that don't worry there are no consequences to that <laughs> you know and so in fact there there are uh it, it warns us many times to be beware of the kind of consequences and the doors that we can open when we're engaging in those things so a lot of people i know who first got uh, discovered that they had some demonic issues in their lives came because they had grown up playing with Ouija boards and grown up playing you know, magic eight balls and these other seemingly innocent occult games. But it turned out the, the demons took that as legal permission to hang out and to bother them. And it showed up in very specific ways. I give you one other body illustration. I have a friend um, and a lady who had had a pounding headaches for 12 years came to see him. Now she had, you know, taken all the medicine. She'd literally gone to Mayo Clinic. She'd gone to all the places. She'd gone to the best medical science could offer. Nobody had any idea why she had these headaches. And uh, long story short, she had gone on a missionary short-term missions trip. She had bought a relic uh, as a souvenir, brought it back home. And that's when her headaches started. And so this guy was like, we need to destroy that relic. We need to command any spirits that took advantage of this to leave. And they did. And, and, and they just, they, uh, they, as soon as they said in the name of Jesus, you know, you have, we, we break your, your permission to be here and they destroyed this thing. Her headache stopped like that. And it has never come back. It's been 10 years. The, uh, so that's what you say. Spirits can't affect the body. So my point is not that all physical things are spiritual because some people take stuff like this and they go, well, therefore everything is spiritual. And I'm like, no, I said, we have to understand that there are these five different things that can drive problems that we have and you need the right solution for the right problem. And so, you know, the best that, they, that she was going to be able to do until in that situation, because it was a warfare issue. Until somebody gave a warfare solution, the best she was going to be able to do is manage her condition. Well, that was a lot. And it's only the first half of our conversation. I appreciate the fact that mourners' desire is to help us experience true freedom in Christ. And that he recognizes we are complex creations, bodies, beliefs, and bonding, as he put it which all play a part in our day-to-day -day realities. 
What we believe matters, but it isn't the sum total of our existence. No, don't get me wrong. We have to, to trust in Jesus. We have to believe in him. But to say that our bodies don't matter, it's missing a lot of what the scripture talks about. Our bodies actually matter in our life of faith. And sometimes the spiritual ailments we have can have physical causes. And we can be bonded to our pasts and each other out of fear or joy. The church's tendency in the recent past has been to reduce all problems to simple issues of belief. Get the right information and everything's going to be okay. Information is important, but it's certainly not everything. There's a relational element to all of this and who we are as engendered, embodied beings. A lot of people in the church, much less outside the church, could stand to be more biblically literate. But God created us as complex beings. We live in a physical and spiritual world. They're not separate. That's what Michael Heiser has talked about with the unseen realm. There are wicked spirits at work in the world as well as the Holy Spirit. Dismissing that really doesn't make us safer. It simply denies a potential cause of problems and cuts us off from the power of God to work in our lives. Next week, we're going to continue this conversation about being holistic disciples of Jesus. I hope you will join us. In the meantime, if you have questions, drop us a line on Facebook or Instagram. And would you please subscribe and add a review to Apple Podcasts? Would you please do that and do it right now or wherever you listen? It helps us a ton, and it doesn't take you that long of time, okay? So do that for me, please. It helps us get the word out so that other people can water the faith of more people. And if this episode has helped you, then consider becoming one of our what? Watering Partners. Yes, you've heard it before. Go to apolloswater.org, hit the support us button. We are watering the world a little bit at a time and are able to do it because of listeners like you. So thank you in advance for having partnered with us. I want to thank our Apollos Water team of Kevin, Melissa, Eliana, and Rebecca. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Water. Stay watered, everybody.